Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. All right, a warm welcome for our lead pastor, Michael Hansen, please. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Vicki. Hey, everyone, happy Easter. It's great to see all of you. If you're visiting today, I want to especially say happy Easter and thanks for coming and joining us for one of our Easter uh, services. Good morning to our online viewers. Good morning, mom and dad. They're in Danish. That's a compliment, what I just said to them. But, uh, uh, but uh, seriously, it's really good to have you. It's uh, really fun to see them adding chairs in the back and uh, building bleachers uh, for the people that are coming in. That's really cool. But hey, happy Easter. But also, this is a really big weekend. Uh, Happy 20th anniversary, VCDC. This is our 20th anniversary. And uh, we are going to celebrate 20 years as a church family in, uh, in August, uh, August 14th, Sunday, August 14th at our all-church picnic. We're going to uh, celebrate on our own property. We're going to have a big party here. We're going to party like it's 1999, if you will. <clears throat> so happy Easter, happy anniversary. And uh, being Easter, before I say uh, what many of you are expecting me to say, let me say this. <clears throat> I did not grow up in a church where we said what I'm soon going to say. And uh, I remember going to some Easter services where they said what I'm soon going to say. And I remember sitting there thinking, I feel like I'm not in the club. I feel like a real, it's kind of awkward. So what I mean is there is an Easter tradition and uh, I do not want anyone, especially our visitors, to feel left out or awkward. So here's the Easter tradition. In a little bit here, I'm going to say, he is risen. And then you'll respond if you want to with, he is risen indeed, all right? That's how it goes. So let's, let's start again. <clears throat> hey, good morning, everyone. It's great to, great to see you here. No, okay. Happy Easter and he is risen. He is risen there you go. You're in the club. We can leave. It's done. Easter's, no. <clears throat> but seriously, uh, this weekend all around planet Earth, uh, people are gathering to celebrate what we just said. Our belief that he is risen, uh, risen indeed. Really, it's the pivotal event of the Christian faith. Our belief that Jesus, he, that, he, that he died on the cross uh, and he was dead, he was very dead, uh, but he didn't stay dead and that he came back to life and, uh, uh, from the grave and, and now, or was and now is very much, uh, very much alive and now because he lives, because he has conquered the power of death as Christians, we believe that anyone who believes in Jesus will live with him forever, even if we die in this life. Uh, this event, really belief in this event, uh, was the fuel in the hearts of the first believers. If you look in the book of Acts of the, of the early church, and you know, when you look back on church history or the beginnings of the church, all throughout church history, there's been uh, uh, great cost, not, not everywhere in the world, but in many parts of the world, there's been great cost to the individual who has chosen to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus. In first century Israel, it could have meant exclusion from the temple, you know, from temple worship and, or in the synod, from the synagogue, wherever you may have lived. Uh, it could have meant persecution from the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees. And, and in many cases, it actually could have meant uh, the loss of, of your life. There was great cost to believe, to believe in Jesus. And yet all throughout the Bible, all throughout church history, There is story after story after story 
of very regular people, people like you, people like me, uh, acting courageously, uh, sacrificially, acting fearlessly because of their belief in Jesus, and primarily because of their belief that Jesus died and came back to life. So imagine this, imagine... You know, you're walking down the street and you're near a synagogue or, you know, near the temple and you see this guy thrown out of the temple. Get out of here. And the, you know, the priest comes out and says, get out of here, you follower of Jesus. You're not welcome here. And they start dragging him off to the Colosseum to be martyred. It's a pretty fast moving story. But just imagine if you saw that and you ran up to the guy and you said, hey, hey, why are you so adamant? Why are you so convinced in your belief that you're willing to go through all of this? that you're willing to even give your life. And to that, this, you know, this early Christian would have said, he would have responded with, why am I so convinced? Well, I'm so convinced because, well, because Jesus was such a good teacher. And it's like, no, he, he was a great teacher, but that's not why. Why am I so convinced? I'm so convinced because, well, because Jesus did really cool miracles. Like he, you know, he multiplied food, he healed the lame, the blind, the sick, etc. Well, that's true, but but that's not it either. Well, I'm so convinced because, well, because Jesus walked on water, and that's pretty cool. Well, that is very cool, but but that's not it either. He, this person, would have said he said, no, all of those are true, but the reason for my deep conviction, the reason uh, why I'm even willing to give my life, is because. Well, because I believe Jesus died and rose again to live forever. And as his follower, so will I. Or another way to put it is, what sets a person free to no longer fear for their life is a belief that they actually can't lose their life. And so in this series, we've been in a, a six-week series where we're going through the, uh, the I Am statements. The series is I Am, Jesus in his own words. And we're looking at the the seven I am statements, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, all these different things that Jesus said about himself. Uh, and they're all found in, in the New Testament book of John. Uh, John is a first person account of the life, the death, and the life uh, of Jesus, uh, written with the goal of bringing the reader uh, to a decision, to a place of decision, to a place of belief in Jesus. And I, I say this all the time, but I, I think it needs to be said. Understand that biblical belief, biblical belief is way more than just some, a mental assent or just some agreement like, oh, well, that sounds good. I believe that. Biblical belief would say, whoa, 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 whoa. It has to go much deeper than that. And here's what I mean. Think of it this way. Biblical belief is not, it's not downloading a Christian app onto the iPhone uh, of your life. And if you have an Android, well, you're sort of off base already. Okay, I shouldn't have said that, but just stick with me, right? So that, <laughs> now you forgot what I said. You're all like, oh yeah, okay. But biblical belief is not, it's not just, it's not downloading a Christian app that you, into the iPhone of your life that you just kind of run to when you're stuck or don't know what to do. What the Bible teaches is biblical belief really is, it's over the course of your lifetime. It really is the downloading of a whole new operating system into the iPhone of your of your life. You know, that's what it means. According to the Bible, that's what it means to, to believe. And so uh, as we look at this final I am statement of Jesus, we're going to look at a story uh, that was really orchestrated by Jesus to help the people then and to help us uh, now to believe that he, that he really could uh, and really did uh, come back to life. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into uh, this story. So Lord, 
Uh, I thank you so much for just such a beautiful, beautiful day. Lord, uh, I thank you for uh, what we're celebrating today. And I, I pray that uh, you would surprise us today with how alive you are, with how real you are, with how, how much you're with us right now. Lord, you know everyone in this room. I pray that you would just, you would come close and love on everyone in this room. Uh, just come in very real personal ways. We welcome you here in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the final I am statement is found in John chapter 11. And it's found in a story, a story that totally foreshadows the death and resurrection of Jesus uh, that was, was soon to come, uh, really was just around the corner from this story. And Jesus, knowing what was to come uh, for himself, but especially for his followers, like the disciples, etc., he uses the crisis in, in chapter 11 in the story to help prepare and encourage them uh, towards belief in him and in his ability to conquer death. In John 11, we see the story of a man named Lazarus, and that name might trigger the story. Lazarus, his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and in the story, the sisters have sent word to Jesus that Lazarus is really sick, and oh, Jesus, you need to come right away, and you need to come and heal him. Because at this time in the story of Jesus, he had a reputation for, for being a healer. And what's really interesting to the, the, you know, the crisis, the need of these two sisters is, what's interesting is the response of Jesus. Because when Jesus gets that message, he doesn't sort of go, oh, who's got air miles? You know, I, I, need, to get, I need to catch the red eye to Bethany. It's like, like he doesn't do that. In fact, when you look at the story, his response is one of waiting. He literally, he purposely lingers really until he's confident that Lazarus has died. And when it finally is time to go, Jesus says this to his followers, uh, who, again, were also aware that Lazarus was sick. Verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, when you read that, you go, wait a minute. I thought, you know, Jesus, meek and mild. I thought Jesus was the good guy. Like, this does not look like the response of a loving God, does it? Like it's, like, it's sort of like, wait a minute, Jesus, you're the one who really could have healed him. So why, Jesus, why did you, why are you waiting to go? And well, the, the, he really answers that question. The verse says, for your sake, I am glad I was not there. And I'll say it this way. Basically, he's saying, I've waited because what I'm now going to do is going to help you. It's going to help you believe in me. So, so today, I'm really going to sort of jump around this story and draw out some points where Jesus is orchestrating, where he's creating opportunities for them and for us to, to, to believe that he really is uh, bigger than death. And, you know, in the plan of God then and the plan of God right now today is, is to open our eyes a little bit more, to see a little bit more of him. And really the plan of God is that as, as God gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in your eyes, that our response is that we would be able to now trust him with more and more and more of our own lives, with the little things of life and the big things, even with our very lives. So our first point is this. Number one is the God who sees the full picture, okay? Chapter starts with Jesus and the disciples getting a message from Mary and Martha Oh, Lord, the one you love is sick. You need to come quickly. And Jesus responds 
in John 11, in verse four, he says this. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, again, you look at the response of Jesus and you're like, uh, Jesus, aren't you, you don't seem aware that the Mary and Martha are freaking out here, right? They're very fearful for, for their, their brother that he's, that he's going to die. And, and yet when you, look, when you look at that passage, when you look at the response of Jesus, it's like uh, there's no anxiety in that response from him. In fact, it's a very confident, very clear, very calm response. And, you know, that stirs in my mind. It's kind of like sitting beside someone in a movie theater uh, and you're watching a movie that they've already seen, but you haven't seen it. And you come to a part of the movie where, you know, it's really confusing. You know, the main character's in a really scary place. And you look at them like, oh, oh no, oh no, what's going to happen? And they just look back real chill and they go, don't worry, be happy, man. Right? Like, they're just like so chilled out. And it's like, well, wait a minute, how, how is it that person's so chill? Well, it's simple. Well, it's because they've, they've already seen the movie. They know what's going to happen. And that's, and that's what we see in this story. Jesus, Jesus has already seen the movie of Lazarus's life. He's seen the full picture of his life. So he's, he's not worried. And, and you know, the Bible teaches that it's the same for me and it's the same for you. That he hasn't just, because he's God, he hasn't just seen a little bit more like the bigger picture of your life. But what the Bible teaches is that God has seen the full picture of your life. And one of my favorite passages, just a very intimate uh, portion of scripture in Psalms 139, David says this to God. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Isn't that incredibly intimate language? It's kind of like, you know, like, wow, you, like, I'm your idea, God? God, you knit me together in my mother's womb and you, like, you know everything about me. You know the full picture of my life. Wow, you know, and at first that might seem really comforting, but if we're honest, if you really think that through, you might go, hey, wait a minute, I've got some questions. Like, uh, for instance, well, then what about all the hard, painful things I've gone through? <laughs> or, or what about all the hard, painful things that I'm, that I'm going through right now? I think those are very honest, very real questions. And I think, you know, to those kind of questions, those really deep questions, sometimes I, well, I don't think, I know in the church we give... Um, we give like band-aid answers to deep wounds, if that makes sense. You know, or, or the way I put it is you have these deep questions. We give what I call bumper sticker questions. You're in a hard time. and It's like, hey, don't forget Romans 8, 28. And then we know that God works all things for good. And it's like, yeah, I do. I, I, I believe that's true. I believe God does work all things for our good. But when you're in a hard place, it's really hard to see that. Isn't that true? It's really hard to, to, to hear that. It's really hard to believe that that is true when you're in the midst of a, of a crisis, when you're in the midst of a valley. But in John 11, there's, there's a couple of verses that totally address that struggle that we all have. Now, they don't solve the struggle, but they address it. Verse five says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, when you look at those two verses, like, wait a minute, they don't seem to, to line up. Because if I was, if this was my novel, I would say, now Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he immediately ran to their side and fixed it. But that's not what it said. And in fact, what it says, what it's saying here is, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, I love you guys. And I know you're in a hard place, but I'm choosing to wait. But don't forget, I love you guys. And when I look at that, that you know, that's a great couple of verses to underline. Because it, what, it, what it's saying, it's addressing the human condition, something we all struggle with. When life is, when we're in a place of waiting, when life is hard, when it doesn't make sense, we are so quick to look at God. And, I, and, I, and the fact that we get angry at him shows that we, we believe he's there, but the question is, we're not so sure that he cares. Isn't that true? We're not so, we're just, the, the problem is, I don't know if, like, you say you love me, but this is, doesn't seem like a very loving thing to do. And you know, something that I used to struggle with a lot was, hey, are you angry with me right now? Is that why, you know, you've just gone quiet on me? Well, we, we see this addressed in the story. Uh, God making them wait had nothing to do with punishment. It had nothing to do with a lack of his incredible love uh, for them, but, but it was because he saw the full picture. And he knew, oh, just hold on. There's something way bigger. There's something way, way cooler, if you will, that I am doing in this situation. So the plan of God is that he would become so big in your eyes, bigger and bigger in your eyes, that, that you would trust his love and you would trust his plan in your life, in, in, in a loved one's life, um, even, when, even in the times of waiting, when you, when you can't see the full picture, trusting that he can see the full picture. That's our first point. Numero Deutsch, number two, uh, is the God who makes molehills out of mountains. And one of the themes in the, <clears throat> in the story of, of John 11 is that from the people's perspective, even after all the different miracles that Jesus had done and you know, all the cool stuff that he, they'd heard about him, uh, from their perspective, though, death was greater than Jesus. Right? So they sort of look at Jesus like, Jesus, you, know, you are amazing. And, <clears throat> and it's pretty obvious you have authority over, over sickness. We've seen you heal people. It's pretty obvious um, you have authority over demonic powers. We've seen you, you know, drive demons out of people. It's pretty obvious that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that you have authority over nature, that whole walk on the water thing. That was very cool. But when it comes to death, from their perspective, they saw death uh, as having the final word. Uh, and how do I know that? Well, when, when Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, Lazarus has now been dead for four days. He's in the tomb. And it's close to Jerusalem. So all these family and friends had come out to, to, to really gather with them, to grieve the death of Lazarus. And just listen to the responses of different people in the story as they, you know, really revealing what, that they saw death as greater than Jesus. John eleven twenty one, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Like, don't you hear in those, in those responses, there's like a sense of defeat, like, oh, 
Oh, if only, like if only you'd arrived earlier, Jesus, like then, then it would all be different right now. Then, then, you know, you could have healed him and he wouldn't be dead, but, but now he's dead. Now he's dead. Now it's a hopeless situation. Now it's even beyond your great abilities, Jesus, to do anything. It's over. It's over for, for Lazarus. But, but in the story, again, I'm jumping around. Before Jesus got to Bethany, look at the perspective Jesus had on death. Again, they'd heard that Lazarus was sick. He, Jesus waited. And now knowing that he was dead, he said this to his disciples in verse 11. He said, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now, look at that. To the, to the people in the story, their perspective on death was death was this massive, impassable mountain. But to Jesus, to Jesus, from his perspective, death was more like a little, a little molehill. You know, you could either, you could just step over it or what we used to do as kids, poof, you just boot it, right? Actually, you don't boot moles, you, you whack moles. I learned that last night. But, but Lazarus wasn't dead. From Jesus' perspective, Lazarus was merely taking what? A nap. So just think about that. It's, it's not over for Lazarus. From the perspective of Jesus, it's more like, Lazzy, wake up, Lazzy, wake up. It's, it's, it's not over. It's not an impassable mountain to him. It's, it's just a molehill. Something that looked impassable to us was nothing for Jesus. So, you know, looking out at, at all of you and, uh, you know, whoever's, uh, well, I know my parents are watching, but whoever else is watching online, you know, what are the, what are the pers- from your perspective, impassable mountains in your life right now? What are the things that you're just like, they're, you know, they're just beyond you? Like, is it your finances is it, or, or your lack of finances? Is it your health, your marriage, your future, your, your failures, your, I mean, you fill in the blank, whatever it is, what, are the, what, what is the thing in your life right now that, is in it, that looks to you like an impassable mountain? Well, one of the keys of the Christian faith is uh, it's learning to take your eyes off of the perceived impassable mountain and to fix them on Jesus on Jesus, who is always greater than, right? And the one who is so great that even the, the biggest mountains you could ever go through in this life are like molehills in his presence. Uh, in the Psalms, it says, in the presence of Jesus, that mountains, what? Mountains melt like wax in the presence of Jesus. And, and so there is a very real peace and hope found in scary times when we fix our eyes on Jesus. And you know, it's, it says, again, about something very relational about God. Because in this life, many times God, he doesn't just run in and just remove the mountain. Because he wants us to learn how to trust him. And so there's something so real and so powerful and so relational about learning to get your eyes off the, the mountain and onto Jesus. I remember I, I grew up in, uh, in Western Canada, in British Columbia, and uh, in a small town where we lived on this beautiful, beautiful lake called the Shushwap Lake. And it just was beautiful in, in every way. Big, huge, freshwater lake. Uh, you know, we would swim and, and we would water ski and, and fish. And, you know, it, again, it was huge. There was lots and lots of space. And the only negative thing that I remember about the Shushwap Lake was um, that big storms would come up really fast on the lake. They'd just roll in quick. And uh, I have a vivid memory as a kid 
I was like, I don't know, seven years old or something. And we were out on the lake with another family. And, the, and the, I just remember in my mind, the, the, the visual I have is the boat was crowded. And in those days, all the little ones, myself included, we had those, remember those old life jackets that sort of went around and they tied and they, they were really good at holding your face in the water. So uh, how'd they get that passed? But, but you know, but we're out, we're way out in the lake and all of a sudden you could see just this system rolling in. And, and here comes a storm. And very quickly, the storm rolls in. The wind is howling. And I, you know, there's like a big white-capped wave just rolling across the lake. And, you know, as a, as a kid, I remember, you know, the adults, uh, they're pulling us in close. And, and, and there was really a sense of fear on that little boat. And I remember, you know, my, I, my dad was driving the boat and he's, and he's turning the boat into the wind and he's trying to get us to shore. And, and I think I was sitting on my mom's lap. Um, but I just remember having a sense of fear as a, as a little guy. And, you know, and the ones who are supposed to be calm were very anxious. And, and I just, you know, and, and at that moment, it really was like this impassable mountain. This storm was huge. And it's like, is this, is this are we going to make it? Is this the end for us? And I remember in that, in that moment of fear, I caught a glimpse of my dad's face. And he was, again, he was driving the boat. And when I looked at dad's face, uh, you know, I, what I saw was he wasn't afraid. And, and, and if he was, he, he wasn't showing it. But what I saw in my dad's face was, was confidence. And as a little boy, it was, it was like dad was looking at his face. It was like, son, you don't need to be afraid right now. Son, I've got this. I've got this. I, we're all going to be okay. And, you know, the way I remembered is just, it was as long as I kept my little eyes on my dad, that fear subsided. And, and I knew, I knew we were going to be okay. Now, that's just a small example of the, of the peace-giving, anxiety-calming, fear-crushing power of getting our eyes, fixing our eyes on, onto, onto Jesus, getting them off the mountain and onto the one who is always greater than. Because, you know, when we look back at the story, <clears throat> Jesus, the one who is always greater than, in the story, he doesn't just, you know, doesn't just save the day. He doesn't just, you know, get them to shore. He, he, what he does in the story is he foreshadows something that is so much bigger than that. And, and meaning this, meaning that, you know, go back to the story I told. In the story I told, if that boat had sunk and if all of us would have drowned, that according to the greatness of Jesus, we were still going to be okay. And you know, so what I mean is like when we look at the life of Jesus, all through his life, Jesus is making these, these declarations about himself. But it's not just words. He almost always follows his declarations with a demonstration. He's not just a God of words. He's a God of action. Right, of, of words and of, and, and of power. And in John 11, we see this again as Jesus, as he makes the final I am statement and then follows it by demonstrating what he just said. So you've got Mary, Martha, the, the, the gathered mourners. You know, they believe it's the end for Lazarus. Their hearts are broken. In their eyes, death is bigger than Jesus. And after uh, Martha laments to Jesus, oh, if only you'd been here, it'd be, it would be different right now. Jesus responds in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, thinking, at least that's what I've been taught and that's what I'm hoping. 
way, way down there, Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And again, you know, Jesus orchestrated an opportunity in this story for them and for us really to come to an intersection of belief, of what do we believe about Jesus, right? Is he, is he bigger than, is he bigger than death? Well, my, that leads us to our third and final point is the God who is greater than death. And to us, you know, many in our culture, I would say even many who are in church this weekend, we still, we, we see death as the end. We do see it as the end. But to Jesus, again, death is merely a nap. And the Bible teaches that after your last breath here on earth, your next breath is on the other side in eternity. And, and, and so when Jesus says to Martha, he's like, Martha, Martha, I'm way bigger than this. Martha, I'm way bigger than anything this life can throw at you, even death. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Death does not have the final word. I have the final word. And, and, and you know, near the end of John's life, many years after the resurrection, this same John who wrote this story, he, he wrote the book, the last book of the Bible, uh, Revelation. And in Revelation, John has a, just this amazing vision of Jesus. In Revelation 1.17, it says, when I saw him, when I, John, saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades, of death and hell. And what does he say there? He's saying, Martha, Martha, there's something going on right now that's way bigger. In a, in a few days... I am going to go to the cross. I am going to die and I'm going to come back to life. And in that act, I am going to take ownership. I am going to take back the keys of death and hell from the enemy so that he, so that now I will have the final say, the last word. And so for him to say, I am the resurrection and the life, you know, I am in charge. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And I heard a great quote uh, recently it says, God may let you die but he will not leave you dead. Like, you don't see a lot of bumper stickers with that, do you? But, but if Jesus doesn't come back, what the Bible teaches is we're all gonna die. And I'm not belittling that. I'm not making light of it in any way, but that, that's the truth. But, but God will not leave us dead. We are eternal. We have eternal souls. He will not Leave us dead. And so in the story to demonstrate his ownership of death, Jesus with the disciples, Martha, Mary, all the grieving friends, they go to the graveyard where Lazarus was. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, sitting here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet, 
His, or his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And you know, one of the commentaries I read this week commenting on the, just, just the awesome power, the ultimate power of Jesus as the resurrection of life. He said, you know, if Jesus hadn't specified Lazarus come out, he said the whole graveyard would have emptied. Right? Could you imagine? That would be quite a scene. Like, no, 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 not you guys. You guys go back. Lazarus, no, 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 the other Lazarus. Okay. You know, it's sort of like, <laughs> but I mean, it's like that he would become bigger and bigger in our eyes. His ultimate, ultimate power. Okay, I need to wrap this up. So let's, let's have the worship team come on back up. Uh, I'll, end, I'll end with this. So this, this story is a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of, of what's to come, uh, what's soon to come. The death and resurrection of Jesus. It's orchestrated by Jesus to help the people see more of his greatness so that, they, that they'd be able to believe that he really did come back to life, that he really did conquer death. And so my hope this weekend, when I look out at all of you and, you know, those that are watching online, one of the things I realize is that there's lots of people here uh, and, and there, are, there are a lot of people in a lot of different places when it comes to belief, uh, to belief in Jesus. And so my prayer this week has been, oh Lord, would you just come and open people's eyes a little bit more to just see a little bit more of you. And so, and so, and my hope would be this week in that, you know, for some of you, you may not even, you may not believe, you may believe very little about Jesus. You may not believe that he conquered death, but, but because of this weekend, my hope for some is that you would take a step of belief, something like this, like, well, I think I believe that you're real God. Or for some of you, it might be a step of like, hey, I think I believe that you're real and that you know me and that you love me and that I can trust you. Or, you know, or, 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 I, or I think I believe that you really did die in my place to pay the penalty for my sins, that I really can be forgiven. Or, or, you know, or I really, you know, you come to a place of belief where I think, I think it is time for me to get baptized. I think it is for, time for me to walk down the aisle with you, if you will. Or, or, or I, think, I think I do believe that the Bible is true and that I can trust that what God says in his word is true. Well, and you know, in lots of different ways, whatever he has shown you of himself today, I, I strongly encourage you to take that step towards him, that step of belief. And really, as, we're gonna go back into a time of worship now. Really, it's just in your heart just saying, okay, uh, I think I do believe you're real. You know, and I recognize for some in this room, it might be your, your first time. And that's awesome of taking a step towards Jesus. And, and we'll talk about that a little later. But for now, let's all stand up. We're going to go back into worship. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. Well, bless you. Have a wonderful week.